Hi, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First. And we have a couple of very special guests today. And really, this uh, show is a follow-up to the show that we did a couple of weeks ago, um, where we had Gwen Broadway uh, on, and it was a very lively discussion. It actually was great if anybody has had the chance to hear that. But one of the things that we're really interested in in the organization is where the where the where the action happens, if you like, uh, the place where the work really uh, is is going on. And so we have uh, the privilege of having a couple of guests on today who are living um, that situation today. And the idea really is to talk about um, what are the things about this job that uh, appeal uh, to you, but also what are things that get in the way? Um, and I guess I'd just like to begin by saying that we are in one of the biggest labor shortages that we've ever been in at BAMSI and in the country, and that bears down heavily on the agency. And and uh, for the most part, um, our uh, assistant directors and our program managers take the brunt of that. And, uh, and so we have a couple of people who can actually talk about what that's like um, because uh, they are in those positions. So I'd just like to say hi to Manuska Polonis, who is the program manager of our beautiful new centerpiece house at uh, Foundry Street. Um, Manushka, hi, how are you doing? Good morning, I'm doing good and you? Good, good. And Joe Sill, um, who is uh, one of our assistant directors. Uh, and Joe, uh, so nice to have you on the show. Nice to see you again. Thank you. So let's pick up on that point. Um, the well, actually, first, maybe you could introduce yourself, Joe. Can, can you just get, tell us a little bit, bit about you and, and, and what job you're in now and what you've done in the past? Uh, yeah, I'm Joe Still, and I'm assistant director in the Brockton area. I've been so since 2019. Um, I've actually been with the agency since 2000. Took a little hiatus stuff. To, to, around 2015 to 2017 and then I returned. Um, so I've, I've, I've served in multiple roles from uh, RC to behavioral specialist to uh, training, requirement training, operative uh, uh, manager for several programs and also assistant director to the, to the date. Yeah, I mean that—that that is a, a broad swath of, uh, of experience that you go, that you uh, that you draw on, Joe. Uh, and Manushka, how about you? Um, well, I'm Manushka Polonese. I've been with BMZ for three years. I started, I want to say, March or April of 2020, so like right at the beginning of COVID. Um, I've been—I started as a program manager. I've managed a total of three different houses. I want to say. Um, I started off in Kingston, went to Carver, and now I'm in Easton. Right. Well, welcome. And uh, Manushka, you and I share the same uh, start date, I believe, um, which, yes, you're absolutely right, coincided with the beginning of um, a pandemic that has affected a lot of this conversation, I should think. Um, the uh, We have learned to live with um, the pandemic, which now I guess is an endemic. Um, and one of the things that we're wanting to have a conversation about is what is it like to do this work? What it is, is it like to provide these kind of services to some of the most vulnerable populations in the entire state uh, of Massachusetts? There is an enormous 
responsibility um, that comes with the privilege of, of leadership and you are living that at the moment. If I if I had to ask you one question, I, I guess I'd begin with what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that, that really are on your mind constantly um, in the position that you're in? And, and maybe, maybe, Joe, I'll start with you first. So, I, I mean, I can say the instability uh, related to the staff and challenges has impacted, you know, uh, services across the board from training to um, attendance uh, coverage issues, um, a wide range of coverage issues and have monopolized, they tend to monopolize the priorities. Um, and that's been the greatest challenge since the pandemic and, you know, obviously beforehand, but, you know, the pandemic came and people just fell off the radar. And as you know, there's been a lot of fallout. I think we're slowly recovering, to be honest with you. Um, but obviously it's never fast enough. Um, so that's been the greatest impact is basically coverage for the most part, because it prioritizes everything and you, you know, you other, other priorities seem to get placed on the back burner. So therefore you have this vacuum and, um, you end up working extra late or super early to compensate for your having to put time towards uh, uh, ascertaining coverage. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I, I was um, I was talking to a a person who works at another uh, agency similar to us, and they said the same thing. And they said one of the things that it's like this sort of um, uh, the the problem compounds its you're trying to find coverage, you, you're, you're having to rush and, and, and maybe cover shifts. And some of the things that would increase retention perhaps get put to the side, like, you know, your ability to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. And so it's, just, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, um, there's a tipping point where you're pulled in, in a direction that takes away from the ability for you to retain and build relationships with people. And I've heard that a couple of times, Joe. So thank you for so eloquently putting putting that. Manushka, how about you? Is it is it the same with you? Would you reflect those same um, worries? It's the same thing with me, especially from like when I had started, like um, I during the pandemic, from the beginning of the pandemic, like we've been having the staffing issues and from three years later, we're still having the same issues. Um, I think it really, it's different and depend on the area, but um, we're throughout the whole BMZ, um, we're struggling just finding people. Just, just past weekend, the Plymouth area just needed so much support from the Brockton area in their weekend schedule just because they had no support. Um, a lot of the staff, they either already, the staff that we have, like we're burning them out, like they're either already working doubles or past their 80 hours regular time for the bi-weekly pay period. And when it, for the managers, it's difficult on us as well, just because we can't focus on like other stuff that we're responsible for, other tasks that we need to be handling. We have to, our main focus is the schedule. Right. And so those things do um, sort of get put to the back of the queue. It's that urgency is sort of trumping 
um, the the importance of all of those other things. And again, I think that's that's a fairly typical um, a, a, a typical situation. Joe, in your um, in all of the homes that you're responsible for, is that is uh, are vacancies an issue in all of them in the same way, or do you have some homes that have less vacancies or is it uniform or or do you find it in pockets it's in pockets um there's more stability in some of the programs and others um i mean I, and i think that's always kind of been the case in some of these residences where you have a close-knit group of people who have been working together for you know a while and and they're comfortable with one another and it's kind of a good team environment. And I think those are the places that have less pockets of vacancies. Yeah. So that's more about happenstance, right? I mean, uh, I was I was at a program a few weeks ago and there were people, um, it was Prospect Street, I think, and there were folks that had 20, 22 years, I think it was 28 years, you know, folks who have just sort of dedicated their lives in a way to the people. And by the way, in some of those homes, the the person served have been in the home for for 25 years as well. And, um, you know, those relationships are forged over a lifetime. I think, you know, if I look at the um, statistics from HR, it's very clear what's happening in terms of our vacancies. And that is that People are leaving early on in their in their careers at Bamsey. So, you know, you'll get people coming into direct service professional positions, and between six months and a year, they they leave. Um, and it's not everybody, um, but that is a pattern. Manushka, do you find that uh, in your uh, programs? Yeah. Do you find that people come and go? With my opinion, especially with since I worked in different locations, I think like, you know, location does have a big um, has a big aspect in all of it in like hiring people I, in the Plymouth area. Um, when I was going, like, you know, processing the applications for the staff or doing interviews, I feel like I got more interviews out here in the Brockton area than in the Plymouth area or like in the Plymouth area, people would schedule it or not show up at all. Um, or some people would tell me like you know the distance is too far like a lot of people that was applying to those areas were coming from boston or brockton or Totten, um and had that type of issue so i think it depends for me on my opinion it, it depends on where what house and where it's the house yeah. located yeah do, do you find though that, that that we do lose a certain number of people early on you know if we do um, get I them to like come it depends on the positioning um, for like, you know, regular staff. I don't think that we lose them. Um, maybe you hire management. I feel like they get burned out and um, get tired, especially the time that we're in right now. And they don't see the solution at the end of the road and end up just leaving. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that and, and you know, when when I talk to direct care staff, they usually say that it takes probably a year to develop those relationships with, you know, your colleagues um, and also, you know, for the person served to sort of get their hooks into you, you know, that the story I hear with people who have been here is like, I, I love these people. They're, you know, they're part of my life. I'm part of their lives and life. And, and it was really interesting because we were talking and it wasn't at, at your homes, but it was, um, I think it was talking um, in Barbara Baxter's uh, cluster and, 
And one of the staff members said, you know, you don't pay us enough. We're really underpaid. You should do something about that. And we talked about that a little bit. Um, and then at the end of it, um, this particular person said, but I'm not going anywhere. He said, I'm complaining to you about it, but I'm not going anywhere because I absolutely love the people that I work with and I love the people that I work for uh, in terms of the person served. And that sort of, you know, it, and, and it's absolutely true that we're not paying people enough. And, you know, my feeling this year is that we have to make this the year of advocacy um, and get involved in the political process. There's, I'm, I'm not sure if either of you read about this, but there is talk of an appetite for a minimum wage of $20 an hour uh, in the state, which again is not enough, but, um, but you know, uh, that would make a significant difference to the state having to readjust their contracts so that we could pay that. Um, we need a voice in that. Um, do you, um, I mean, I'm going to ask you a question I know the answer to, but when we, you know, when you talk to people about why they stay or why they go, I should think that the level of reimbursement is usually one of those things that comes up a lot, Joe. To be a general consensus is that we do not pay enough. Obviously, there's really no, I don't know, financial compensation for some of the supports that we provide. And that's from a moral standpoint, if you will. But, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the economy and pay rates and what have you, we, we, we deal with people who have multiple jobs um, and the performance reflects it because a lot of people, a lot of our staff are burned out um, because some at, at some point we are people's second and third jobs, and they are spent by the time they get to us. So we're dealing with a cut rate performance. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. I might have went rogue a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 hey, Joe, listen, the reason that I wanted you to come on, this, on, on the, the program is actually just tell it like it is. Um, and, I, and it's not the first time I've heard that either, by the way. Yeah, I, th I think the moral piece, can I just pick up on that, um, and Manusha, I'll get to you in a second, but the, the, pick up on that moral piece, because I, I, I want to hear a little bit more about your thoughts about that. Oh, well, my thoughts uh, are simple. We, we, we provide intimate care to some people who are very vulnerable, and in a long-term sense, um, with various functional difficulties, challenges, some, you know, we try to rehab to the best of our abilities. We put a lot into people. I mean, you know, in any, I guess, human being uh, with the, you know, with with the heart, I guess, you know, um, has, has no other choice but to be connected with the people. Um, you know, in my experience, I, I, you know, I dealt with one gentleman who was severely challenging. And behaviorally, uh, physically abusive. I mean, I used to walk in and I'd leave work like I was in a boxing match with Joe mm. Frazier, I mean, you know. Um, and and this was just for years, for years and years. But there was no giving up. You know, there was more, you know, the consistency is why our relationship was enhanced. Um, and that's what happens in these group homes with some of the people we serve we pour a lot into them and they pour a lot into us and there's no you know financial compensation that 
could break that bond, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's where I think you get the best performance because of the heart and work we put into some of the individuals we work with. Wow. I mean, wonderfully said, Joe. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, we cannot ignore that there is a, there's also um, a, a social justice issue here that, you know, we, we lauded and praised those people who were our essential workers during the pandemic. And, you know, I think all of our hopes were that the state would actually recognize that in terms of what we'd be able to pay people so they wouldn't be working two and three jobs, um, you know. So there's a moral issue there as well, Joe. I, I, I mm -hmm. completely agree. Manushka, what, how about you? What, what, what about this pay issue? Um, I mean, with the pay issue, I mean, a lot, everyone from like regular staff uh, to management to nurses all have an issue with their pay rate, um, especially with nurses right now, like Foundry Street, my side still is not open. I've been waiting patiently um, and we don't have, our last nurse that applied was legit last year, maybe around the summertime. And, and that's like very upsetting because it's just like, I, I get it, like other places, like, you know, have better prices, better rates for, for them. Um, but it's just very frustrating over here because it's like, we can't do what we need to do. We can't move on. We're like, yeah, you know, Manushka, probably the nursing issue is the most, um, the most pressing one. We have about 400 uh, nursing positions here and we have about a hundred vacancies. So um, it is absolutely awful. And, you know, when you think about what nurses have been able to do over the past three years in terms of uh, pay rates and things, I do think that's calming down a bit. I mean, I do orientation every week and we had a couple of nurses come on over the last two weeks. So, you know, Joe, I, I share a little bit of your um, optimism there about things might be changing a little bit, but they're certainly not fast enough. Um, but um, maybe we could shift uh, gears a little bit and um, and talk about um, our uh, BAMSI's sort of efforts in terms of diversity and equity, inclusion, justice and accessibility. I, you know, it, you know, we are really taking a hard look at, at, at BAMSI in terms of um, what we're doing to ensure that our workplace is uh, is just uh, and that everybody um, has the same opportunity. Um, and certainly some of the visits that I've uh, made and come out to programs, it does come up quite a, quite a lot that our direct care folks um, are um, more uh, BIPOC than our leadership team as you go through the organization. Um, and our DEJA committee does a lot of work on that. We also have the... Um, uh, the roadshow that goes out. I don't know if the roadshow has been out to any of your programs, Joe or, or Manushka, but this idea of having staff come from the Deja committee just to ask questions about how does this organization feel in terms of listening to you, ensuring that you're getting the right kind of training and that you're getting a fair shake. Um, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that because it's certainly something over the last three years that we've dedicated a lot of uh, resources to and um, and you know uh, I, I think we're still f falling short to be honest with you so I don't know uh, Joe if you want to take that one first yeah uh, sure so I, I think the Deja committee is a really great initiative um, 
I actually joined the committee, but haven't really been able to sink my claws into it only because, you know, some of the administrative challenges I'm facing in the field. Um, yeah. So I kind of have to relegate what's important. Um, so, but I, I think I, I see a culture changing in the agency that I haven't seen in the 20 plus years that I've been around. So it's a positive thing. Um, obviously, everyone wants instant gratification. Everyone's, everyone wants change now. And unfortunately, it's just not a possibility. I mean, it takes time, um, obviously. And I do see, you know, um, I see people being a little more inclusive. I see others, I see some of the residential counselors who are, you know, exposed to these committees and have managers and leadership that don't mind, I guess, breaking down the particulars or involving them, becoming a little more empowered in terms of their voice. Um, and once again, it's it's slow, far and in between. However, I think the management now are investing more in their residential counselors because they're harder to come by. So in terms of you know investing in people i think people are taking each other a little more seriously um and 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 behaving where they're you know they're i don't know they're feeling valued as 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 staffing members so i think the change is coming i think it's working i think you know i think there's you know positive pros and cons the cons are there's never enough support i mean yeah. obviously you know um the culture in the agency has, it's, you know, I, I see it taking a turn for the better, honestly. Um, and I think that's my, yeah. my thoughts on it. Yeah, thanks, Joe. That's still an awful lot more to do, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, actually that work is never done, is it? I mean, that, that, that's a, a work in progress. Manuska, how about, how about you? Um, I feel like there's, um, I mean, there's always room to grow at the end of the day. Um, I feel like I, I only been at BMC for three years. I got support. Um, I do believe it depends on like, you know, who's giving the support. Everyone have like, you know, their own special skills. Um, I could say that like, you know, when I, when I first started, like I, it was hard getting support just because like the whole world was like shut down and everything. But like, if I did have a question, um, there's somebody that's always there available to like answer me, help me, support me, whether it's in HR or a training department or whatever department, um, I could get the support. I believe like, you know, whoever is in management just needs to put in more effort. Like I, I've seen some managers, like we have the resources and the stuff that we need to properly train everybody, but like we have to also put in the work to make sure everybody's trained correctly and know the core values of BMZ. Um, and like I've, I've seen like sometimes some people like, you know, they do the bare minimum, tell them like, you know, new staff like here, this is their handbook, you read this and stuff like that. And then I've seen other people where they're hands on. So I think the big thing is just making sure like this, the people understand this field is a hands-on field. It's not just a field like you just read something and then you get you get it. Like you learn something new each day, each day, um, week or each month. Uh, I mean, so well put, 
Mushkin, and it, you know, if you look at exit interviews, people say, I left this organization because I didn't feel I had a connection with my direct supervisor. And that is the primary reason why people leave. Um, obviously, pay is involved in that, but but you're, you've absolutely, um, you've nailed it in terms of what we need to do. We need to be more consistent and we need to be more personal. And we need to develop those um, soft skills that we have as leaders to make people feel wanted, and make people feel as if they want to stay at an organization, as you said before, Joe, that is doing remarkable work, which is, you know, um, uh, incredibly rewarding in and of itself. But at the same time, we need to keep fighting for uh, a rate of pay that is is reasonable and, and we're not there right now. Um, we have run out of time. Unbelievably, that was <laughs> that was 26 minutes uh, and it flew by for me. Uh, thank you so much to both of you to come and talk about how things are going and what the stresses and presses are. And hopefully maybe in a couple of months you guys can come back and we can talk about how things are going. Yeah. Is that a deal? Sounds good. <laughs> It's a deal. Thank, Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so Thank much. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Goodbye. Take care.